Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Renika Cheney, and I'm a member here at Christ Central. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. We're glad you could join us this morning as we uh, start our new sermon series in Advent this morning. Um, My name is Josh Kim, and I'm an assistant pastor here at Christ Central Church. If you're new and joining us for the first time, as many people do during the season of Advent, we ask you to come stop by our visitor's table to, to get to know us as we share not only about the Advent story of Christ coming, but we love to get to know your story as how God has brought you here uh, in the journey that you're on. As a famous song goes, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? As you walked in this morning, I'm sure you saw a Christmas tree in the lobby. I know many of you are busy shopping for Christmas gifts. 
uh, especially thinking about the supply shortage these days, and probably surprised that the prices have definitely gone up this year uh, in many ways. But definitely, we see that it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And with that, with the next four weeks at Christ Central, we're starting a sermon series in Advent. Advent, as you know, is a Latin word for coming, as in coming of our Savior. And this next four weeks, we title this sermon series, The Cast of Christmas, where um, we'll look at four Bible characters and their Christmas story. So we're going to look at Christmas according to this person. And today, we're going to look at Christmas according to Zechariah. The questions we'll answer, such as, what does Christmas look like for him? What did Christmas look like for him? Did he have a Christmas tree? Probably not, right? Probably not so, especially in that culture and climate. So this morning, I invite you all in a journey to look at Christmas from the perspective of Zechariah, more famously known as the father of John the Baptizer. And that's where we meet in Luke chapter 1. One of the most famous movie lines of them all, as we often quote it from this pulpit, is Christmas spirit makes Santa's sleigh fly. Christmas spirit makes it fly, and this is a famous line from the movie, the classic Elf, starring Will Ferrell. Not to give away any spoilers, by now you probably watched it a thousand times. But at the end of the movie, when the Christmas and the Santa sleigh was in jeopardy of being captured by New York City Park Rangers, the people's belief in Christmas is what makes this slave fly again. And the movie urges us, the watchers, to believe, that believe in the Christmas spirit, not just in the gifts of the ways of the world, but in the spirit of Christmas as you see people gather to sing Christmas carols together. That's the point of the movie. As we look at today's story of Zechariah, we find a character that also had to believe in the spirit of Christmas. He had to believe against his aging body as he shared that I am old, I am not able to, at this point, bear children. He also had to believe that this is God who cares about someone like him and personally speaks to Zechariah and let alone God's people. Mind you, there's a gap here in, about, uh, from Malachi to the Gospel of Luke, there is a period of time where there's silence. He had to believe against all that he has known growing up, that God still speaks to his people. And what's amazing about Christmas for Zechariah is that this belief that he has is not only confessed out of only him, but it's drawn out of him through this encounter with the angel today. It's not up to him, per se, to have this great testimony, but it is the coming Savior that draws out this testimony out of him. So my invitation this morning is as we see Zechariah fumble and fail through the season of Christmas. And I know many of us, as we fumble and fail through the season of Christmas, as we look to the one who came, who's coming, may we remember what this season is all about. The question we're going to answer is, what does Zechariah's Christmas look like? What does Zechariah's Christmas look like? And first thing we see that Christmas for Zechariah was the time when God personally came to him. Christmas was a time when God personally came to Zechariah. We meet Zechariah on the biggest day of his life. 
and the biggest moment, the height of his career. We're introduced to him as a priest in line of um, Abijah, who also married a descendant of priestly family of Aaron, Elizabeth, in verse 5. In the time of Zechariah, priests were divided into 24 divisions, and each division serving at the temple for two weeks at a time. And out of each division serving at the time, two priests were chosen to enter the holy place and offer incense on Israel's altar of prayer, meaning this was the biggest moment of the priest's career, and oftentimes it only came once. And the priest that had a privilege to enter the holy place was not chosen again. This was once-in-a-lifetime event that Zechariah is experiencing today. Not just because John the Baptizer is prophesied, but this is a moment, a height of his career as a priest. And in the most important time and the moment of Zechariah's life, what we see is God coming to meet with them. God coming to meet with them personally. And we notice that this was by no means an accident, rather masterfully planned by God himself. What we see is that Zechariah was chosen for this specific time and task. The scripture reminds us in verse 9 that Lot was cast for Zechariah to enter into holy place. It wasn't like, oh, I drew the short end of the stick today, so I'm going to enter into the holy place and burn incense while everyone gets to go free. That wasn't it. According to the Old Testament, when you cast a lot, oftentimes it was used to reveal God's will for uh, the task at hand, meaning Zechariah was personally chosen for this task today. But not only so, as the angel Gabriel meets with Zechariah, we see that Zechariah's personal struggle is addressed in the promise of John the baptizer. We see that Zechariah was a personal struggle that he was an old man, unable to bear children at this point. And Luke is very careful in stating that this is not due to sin. In fact, he is introduced as person of righteous character. You see, Zechariah was unable to bear children due to his age, and in this barrenness, God enters and speaks. In verse 13, it says, Angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, talking about Nazarene vow, vow that he's going to be a Nazarite. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Church, for Zechariah, this was a very personal Christmas, wasn't it? Not only does God visit him through an angel in delivering a message for the world, it was a personal in his touch. He was specifically chosen for this task today, but he's also a deep longing, the scars in his heart, the heart aches, the prayers he's been lifted up throughout years and years was heard, addressed, and answered. Perhaps not in the way Zechariah ever widely expected, but far greater than what he could have ever dreamed of is what his experience of Christmas is like. Church, I believe that's what Christmas is for all of us as well. It's not merely a religious event or fabricated holiday that we have come accustomed to. Christmas, at the heart of it, 
is a personal story. A story that reminds us that God comes to us. God of the universe, the creator of the heaven and earth, comes to us. Christmas is a personal story of how God came to deal with our heartaches, the problem of sin in our lives. God sends his son to deal with that problem in our lives. And this begins with how God tells the story of how he chose to come to visit us. The story originates from him and comes to us where you and I are because the Christmas is not about how you and I found God. As much as some of you who may be tuning in for the first time or coming to church for the first time at Christmas, it's not because you have decided to come. Yes, there is choice in that matter, but we also see God orchestrating all this, prompting you to come to sit at the foot of the cross. Story is all about him. One of the most famous stories that you probably have heard of, some of you, and some of you probably have never heard of, is this character and the story named Bluey. I know some of you are laughing, some of you are not, because you're like, what is Bluey? If you have a children or are my age, you know what it is, right? It's Australian kids show with puppies. It's so wildly popular. It's in Disney Plus, by the way, and if you have Disney Plus, you can watch it. It's only about seven minutes long at a time. Um, it teaches you stories. It's from Australia, and it's the latest thing, folks. It is the latest thing. Get your target, like the Christmas things, and you'll see Bluey all over the place. And all, everywhere you go, Bluey, Bluey, Bluey. And if you don't know what that is, you don't need to know. That's fine. But one of the things I was watching as my son was watching this show, Bluey, today, uh, not today, but this week, was he was watching a story of Christmas. And I was like, this is great. Christmas is coming up. He's going to watch this. And as I was watching this, I realized that Christmas was happening in the summertime. He was wearing shorts. And I was thinking, wait, there's no snow in the Christmas story? There's no but sand? What preposterous story is this? Heretical, right? This is some kind of new age teaching we got to reject and, you know, write to Disney Plus saying, this is wrong. Don't teach and brainwash my child with the wrong story of Christmas. Then I realized, church, this is Australian story. If you know geography, <laughs> it is summertime in Australia when Christmas happens. So here's Bluey, Australian show, representing Christmas in the way that is appropriate, speaks into it, shares into it. Church, please know that Christmas story is universal and personal. Meaning, it just doesn't belong to your own cultural expressions or, or even religious expressions at that. Same way the gospel, the Christ message is not liberal or conservative based on your own cultural preferences or upbringing. There is no Christmas tree in today's story as much as we dare not push down Christmas tree to Zechariah. It's cultural context. That means... All that we remember this season, but we ought to remember that this story of Advent, this Christmas message is all about God's story for us, not our own story shoved into God's message. American theologian Michelle Reyes says, pastors, do you know how your congregants of different cultures celebrate Christmas? If not, ask them then consider how these different cultural expressions and practices, celebrations, could be thoughtfully incorporated into Sunday morning service this December. And you know what's sad thing about this? She simply asked you to listen 
and think about the cultural context. But these days, we get so twisted and say she's teaching heresy, right? Echoing her, what we're saying is the message of the gospel church. Do you know your neighbor's heart and aches, the struggles? And in our own context, in our own quote-unquote tribes, how we hear and struggle, the gospel narrative that's spoken to us, especially in a church like ours, what is the hope as we convey the message of Christmas this season? Please hear the gospel story is the same for Zechariah as for all of us today. It's almost like Alabama football will always win. Sorry, Georgia fans. You know, I get it. But please come back, right? Just like that, consistently, the message of the gospel is the same. But I do also want to stress there's a universal truth about Christ's coming, but he's also extremely personal. He meets with us where we are, understands our background, our heartaches. Dare not we put God in our own box and spend this Christmas with Zechariah remembering God who comes to us personally, speaks into our moment. But second thing we see is not only the Christmas time personal for Zechariah, but Christmas was the time when Zechariah learns to trust in God who comes personally to him. If Zechariah is here this morning to tell you the story, it is not all rosy and cheeky, right? Here's a priest of God's house. In the biggest moment of his career, a priest who is to tell people to trust in the Lord, Believe God is listening to your prayers. Repent and be forgiven. In the biggest moment of his life, a priest struggles to believe what he probably have taught others to believe most of his life. This is how Zechariah responds to the angel in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this will happen? Remember, he's in the holy, holy place, right? Angel appears to him, and he says, uh, can you tell me, like, how this is going to happen, you know? Like, I don't get it, you know? I'm a priest, but I don't get it. I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And due to this unbelief, Zechariah is in some way disciplined. Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. Hey, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> like, hey, man, like, let's, let's pause here for a second. Angel, you, I'm saying this will happen. You're a priest. You should get this, right? All right, let me tell you this. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you did not believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainty be fulfilled at the proper time. Church, during the biggest moment of the life, his life, Zechariah fails to believe. And as renowned preacher John Chrysostom stated, Zechariah looked at his age, his gray hair, his body that had lost his strength, he looked at his wife's sterility. He refused to accept unfaith what the angel revealed would come to pass. He refused to believe. And here a priest, someone who conveys, teaches what it means to believe and trust in the Lord. Perhaps it is a surprise for a lot of us. But before we jump on Zechariah and condemn him for his unbelief, can you relate to that? His questions? Oh, church, how often we read the scriptures, how often we remember the loving teachings of gospel, how often we are told to live by faith and faith alone, but how often we turn around and live by our sight, 
How often we proclaim to the world, this is a loving place, but how often we draw boundaries and lines and push others away. How often we're called to be loving and proclaim the gospel truth, especially during the Christmas season, but often divide and fight over politics and our own convictions. Can you relate to Zechariah? May we speak of it not in agreement, but just like Zechariah, when the rubber hits the road, do you truly believe that Christ is above all? And look at this hope with me, church, this morning. Not only did God take away Zechariah's ability to speak as a priest, did you catch that? Takes, temporarily takes away his ability to speak as a priest. Imagine if I was a pastor today, I come to speak and preach the word, and I don't speak at all. For 30 minutes, I'm trying to gesture and all this stuff, but nothing's coming out of my mouth. That's exactly what happens to Zechariah. But not only that happens to him, he also took away Zechariah's privilege to convey the greatest prophecy anyone has heard in four centuries. He's not even able to convey the greatest prophecy that anyone has heard in four centuries at that. And as we see in verse 22, people knew that he had seen the vision. Since Zechariah was in the holy place for so long, either you're dead or you come up with something awesome, right? So he's not able to share this good news with anyone, thinking like, all right, what is going on? But here is a promise and hope. God seemed to be a lot more at ease with Zechariah's struggles here. Simply, he could have said, all right, you don't believe me? All right, next, next priest, come on down, you know? And then he could have simply died in the holy place. But even as a priest, even the way he spoke in guise, his disbelief, his struggle does not hinder God's plan for Zechariah. Did you hear that? You said he will certainly pass. It will certainly happen that John the baptizer will be born. God still works. John the baptizer is born and Christ still comes despite Zechariah's unbelief. And to top it off, God is not done with Zechariah. Zechariah reappears in the story in verse 57 of chapter 1 during the birth narrative. In 57, it says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. It came to pass. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. They said, what? They exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. I don't know about you, but I got chills reading that. Notice what it says. Angel in the previous verses says, Zechariah will be able to speak when things come to pass. Imagine you're Zechariah. Baby's born. Still can't speak. You're wondering, wait, the baby's born. Isn't it like my turn to speak now? But still does not able to speak. Even after John the Baptist is born, Zechariah is still un unable to speak. Zechariah is only able to speak on the day of circumcision, a celebration in which naming of the child was to take place. As one commentator stated, God waited until Zechariah acted on his faith. You see, it wasn't a quote-unquote discipline to punish, but silence to draw out his faith and trust in his Savior. 
to walk with him in his doubts and questions. Notice Zechariah's questions and doubts did not hinder John the baptizer from being born. Zechariah's questions and doubts did not hinder Jesus from coming to us. Rather, he was silenced to testify to it. And what we see God was teaching, was teaching Zechariah to believe and trust in his heavenly Father. And through it, through this experience of grace of the Lord, he now can overflow out of the testimony to testify to others about it. For Zechariah Church, the Christmas was a time when he learned to believe in the Savior. He learned to believe in his Father who meets with him, who loves him enough to draw out his faith, draw out his confession, to walk with him through the valleys of shadow of death, to walk with him in doubts and questions, to bring him to the light. Zechariah learns what it means to trust in his Father, the Heavenly Father, to walk with him, who does not give up on his people. Church, it's a very strange time these days, especially for me as a Korean-American who was born in Korea, who has immigrated here about 10 and 11, when I was 10 or 11 years old. It's a strange time because when I turn on TV these days and when I listen to the radio, I hear BTS. <laughs> Not only you hear BTS, you hear them winning the Artist of the Year. Not only you hear BTS, but I also hear Blackpink in your area. Never in my wildest dreams have I ever thought I'm going to be a pastor and talk about BTS and Blackpink and K-pop. Never, never in my wildest dreams I thought that. Not only so, man, many of you watch Yang Chi, the movies. Not only so, Netflix, Squid Game, right? I was waiting until my turn to speak so I could reference it because I realized, <laughs> you know, someone's got to reference it. Everyone's watching it, but no one talks about it, right? Here's a Korean man talking about Korean drama that you all probably watch in... Uh, what, translations? I watch in like actual language, right? <laughs> um, but you know what? This is crazy. And I have people coming up and telling me about, like, have you watched this? Wow, this is amazing, you know? But you know, I listened to this stuff way before, <laughs> right? BTS is in line of many, many, many boy bands that came. Blackpink is like thousands of generations of all this list, the stories I heard. I, as a high school student, used to sit by, by myself in the corner listening to it. Deathly afraid someone will find out that I listen to K-pop and then not listen to American pop and call me an outsider, right? Foreigner. But now, my foreign experience become a global experience. This is, a, this is one of the most incredibly weird times where I turn on TV and listen to my heart language be spoken and all of you cannot hear it. This is the most incredible story. But what I realize is my or your lack of participation in this matter, did not hinder its movement. Meaning BTS, Blackpink, whatever, did not show up all of a sudden out of nowhere, and you have, quote-unquote, discovered it. There has been history behind it. You just were not part of it. But it did not hinder that narrative, that story, this genre from being carried along through Europe, through Asia, through Africa, it's just that perhaps you have never heard of it before. It's been here all along. Your lack of participation does not hinder that. I think this is often how we as Christians in America treat God's work. 
Christmas story reminds us, church, that before even you and I were born, before you and I came to, quote-unquote, faith in the Lord, before we started writing theologies about Scripture, before we created denominations, church structure, before this building was born or built, whatever it may be, Christmas story continued on. There was this redemptive story where people were met with the loving story of the gospel, were transformed by this story, testified to it, and you're in line of generations of faith of those who testified to it. Your inability to participate, your doubts and questions does not hinder God's work. Rather, Christmas invitation, church, is for you to participate in this grand narrative. That God is at work. That God will carry on his work. As the angel Gabriel says, it will certainly happen, whether you accept it or not. And the story says, don't you want to be part of this? Come be part of this amazing story. You and I get to partake in this great invitation of reality that Christ came to die so you and I be included in his family. And notice what happens to Zechariah. Once his faith is drowned out, he has two privileges given to those who believe. First is ability to worship. The first words that come out of Zechariah's after naming John was, blessed be the Lord. Do you notice that? First word is not, let me teach you this great prophecy I've learned. Let me teach you this great theology I have. Let me teach you all this great whatever that I want to teach you. The first word he says, blessed be the Lord. It is bowing down. Praise be the Lord. It's a pure worship in response to the Savior. And the second ability that's given to him is ability now to share the good news. And the beautiful hymn he sings is not only an overflow of his personal worship, but as you will see, he's now prophesying, sharing of God's goodness to others. And the one thing that I want to highlight before we go to the last point is this two ability that's restored unto him is exactly whom he was called to be. Not only as a priest of God's people, but as a follower of this Savior, to be a human being. Now, in experience God's grace, as faith is drawn out, he's transformed to truly be who he's meant to be. And church, I believe this is what Christmas is all about. And this is what I believe that we've been talking about this past several weeks in Broken Prayer Journey is so important. It's not that our perfect prayers and our answers that change and impact the world, let alone ourselves. But as Pastor Brown pointed out, it is the power of the Spirit of the Lord. It is our working of His grace poured out in the brokenness that overflows to worship, to preach, to share the goodness of Christ. May we, along with Zechariah Church, experience this miracle of life found in Christ, learn to worship the true Savior, and share His love during this season with the watching world. Final thing that we see it's not only was this Christmas a time where Zechariah meets with the personal God, where he learns to trust in the Savior that walks with him, who walks him through the doubts and questions. But Christmas, Zechariah learns, was a time when God's redeeming love is not just for him, but for all his people. And that's the final thing we're going to know today is a transformation that takes place in Zechariah's first Christmas. 
as God met with him, speaks to him, draws out his faith out of him, the transformation takes place where Christmas isn't just for him. But what he sees God doing, and here is an overflow. Zechariah enters the holy place in the biggest moments of his career, which turns out to be the biggest moment in the history of humanity, in the redemptive narrative. Zechariah's personal family pain is addressed in today's story, which turns out to be the messenger, the hope for the world to prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah's inability to believe was gently rebuked, changed, and transformed to become who he was meant to be as a priest. But here in response and transformation is our flow, a testimony greatest hymn recorded for all of us to sing and to remind all of us of the purpose of Christmas. In Luke verse 1, 68 through 79 is what we traditionally call Benedictus, a name that comes from the first word of the hymn in the Latin version, Praise the Lord. And this is what Zechariah says in verse 68. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadows of death to guide us to the path of peace. Amen. Church, that is the story and the message of Christmas. Doesn't that pump you up? The dawn of the morning, the light is breaking upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. Zechariah gives praise for God's raising up a Messiah for the nation. The hymn's focus is on God's visitation to save his people. His visitation is centered upon the Savior, the Messiah that is to come. The main focus here is a praise well as a prophecy of Messiah and what his coming means for people. And for Zechariah being filled with the Spirit and giving this, knows his son's role in this as a forerunner in preparing the way of the Lord. Church, do you notice what happened in this narrative and this testimony? Zechariah is transformed by the gospel, transformed by the power of the Spirit of the Lord to be a priest, a messenger. Zechariah, Christmas was more than just birth and answer prayer. For him, Zechariah, Christmas was for God's people. God's answer not only to his own prayer, but the prayers of God's people God's answer to the ultimate question that we're left off in the Old Testament, what will God do to save his people? What will God do to save his people? And for Zechariah, Christmas was ultimately all about God and his plan in Christ. American theologian Phil Riken reminds us of a simple wordplay of this story. You know, Zechariah means God remembers. You know, Elizabeth means God is faithful. 
John means God is merciful, and Jesus means God saves. Putting it all together, he says, the faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his people and his promise to save. Faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his promise to save. In Christmas, coming of the Lord, Zechariah is transformed to be who is called to be, and this message is about faithful God who shows mercy to his people who's coming to save. As we anticipate the coming of our Lord in this Advent season, may we never forget our God who shows mercy to us, who remembers us, who comes to us, not only in our lives, but to those who we call to be. Ayako Miura is oftentimes called a Japanese C.S. Lewis. Japanese C.S. Lewis. Um, his biography says he was born in 1922, lived through World War II, and died in 1999. Very hard to find his book is, because a lot of books are not translated in English, but you could actually find some of his books uh, one of his, de- uh, her, not his, her debut novel is Hilton, Freezing Point, and the focus is on original sin. Published in 1964, won Asai Simbun's 10 million yen award. The testimony of Yako Miura goes something like this. At 17 years old, she became a school teacher during World War II and faithfully carried out wartime education policies without the smallest doubt left in his heart, on her heart. And brainwashed, perhaps, and taught many of her students of the wartime policies of the Japanese imperial empire. But as you know, Japan lost World War II, and she left teaching, confused on regarding what was right and what was wrong. Soon after that, she contracted tuberculosis. They carried into the spine, and she was bedridden for 13 years. Seven of those in a casket that completely restricted all her movement. Interestingly, she found some satisfaction in receiving this as a punishment for all that she had done. Scholar Michutani Aikio writes, the things that post-war writer Sina Rinzo, uh, Ayako Miura, learned through the unimaginable suffering um, was that he, she learned in the long years of fighting illness, confined in a plaster body casket that prevented freedom of even the slightest movement was good for her. But during the time in the hospital, she met her childhood friend, Mikawa Tadashi who was a Christian, who also had tuberculosis. Miura Ayako was attracted to his personality, and as a result, Christianity. Tadashi Mayako and Ayako had known one another as children, and his reappearance as fellow sufferer of tuberculosis was a turning point, she says, writing later. She writes, as soon as he would arrive to visit me, I was all set to argue and invariably criticize Christians. Christians are such hypocrites. 
They put on airs even if they like to going out to nightclubs and they say anyone who goes is a great sinner and hard to save, the things like that, don't they? And Christians are the spiritual aristocracy, aren't they? They stand on a pedestal and look down on us miserable people. It was a strange quirk of mine that when I wanted to be friendly with someone, I picked a quarrel like a child. Strange to say, the friendship which began with quarreling became a warm bond which no fighting or separation could break. But with a strange light within him, was it Christianity, she writes. He loved me not as a woman, but as a human being and an individual. And I decided, just as I was, to seek Christ in whom this man believed. Um, his friend, her friend, later died, succumbing to tuberculosis, which actually led to Mira Ayako attempting to commit a suicide, lost, wondering what happened. But three years later, with the turning point of encounter with this tuberculosis-stricken Christian, she becomes a Christian and becomes C.S. Lewis, as they say. Perhaps C.S. Lewis is Ayako Miura of the Western Hemisphere, becomes a Christian. Church, I am amazed at stories like this. I'm amazed at testimonies like this. Here is a Christian, often unnamed, unknown. You would have never heard about him. But his impact, his life, changed life of another sufferer. And Ayako Miura, whom God came to visit through this friend, personally, in her suffering, drew out faith, not with logic perhaps, for someone as well-educated as she was, through the life and testimony and the hope of a friend. And realizing, being transformed by that power, she stands to testify to the rest of the world what Christmas spirit is all about. Church, this is the message of the gospel of Christ, the testimony of the power of God. May in this season of Christmas, may we remember that this Christmas is a time that he comes to us, draws out our faith, but ultimately transforms us so you and I could stand and testify to our Savior that came. Let's pray. We pray with me, church, as you close your eyes, bow your heads, as you think about this season of Christmas. Let's pray and confess to the Lord. Oftentimes we made it all about us, all about what we have, what we don't have, where we go, where we want to go. But Father, may we remember that this is a time where we remember our Savior have come. Father, we thank you for the truth. That Lord, despite our busy schedule, our unbelief, our struggles, the bickering of your children at times, Father, your story does not end. Your story carries on and continuously testify, even through commercialized aspects of Christmas, that we all pause to remember who Christ is and was and is to come. Father, may this season remind us that we as the followers of Christ, and for those who are here, that you alone is the reason why we celebrate this season. We thank you in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen.